Hello and welcome to Real World HR, the podcast which is putting the human back into HR. I'm Louise Kennedy, HR expert, chartered CIPD professional and founder of award-winning HR consultancy Oculus HR. In the Real World HR podcast, we focus on people. And of course, where there's people involved, there's sometimes problems. But we don't shy away from that. We tell the stories that we've learned from and explain the process that have supported the solutions. This episode features a culture change, behavioural and people expert, Sarah Callender. Sarah is COO at Duo Global Consulting, where she works with growth-focused businesses to lead and navigate strategic change. As part of this, Sarah is passionate about effective leadership and runs initiatives to support ambitious leaders to make a positive impact. In this episode, we dive into a leadership debate with Sarah. Our discussions include qualities of effective leaders, performance management and planning techniques, and what businesses can do to ensure their managers step up to become leaders with company mission values as their reference point. Are you ready to step into the real world of HR? So I'm really pleased to be able to have Sarah here with us today. So I'm just going to tell a bit of a story of how I know you. So <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> um, we well I set my business about nine and a half years ago, and I remember we were doing um, the first International Women's Day that was at um, Newcastle University. Ah, uh, yes. you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. So and you at the time were MD at B Daily, weren't you? That's right. Um, and we kind of looked around at different people of people who were going to be inspirational people that were going to be able to come along and um, to be able to stand and tell their story. Um, and I came across you um, and obviously kind of followed you for a little while and that was the first intro. So very for me as being like a, a new business owner at that point, you were kind of out there on my little pedestal, you know, to um, somebody that was kind of like, you know, really recognised that you were doing, you know, really good at what you'd done, but you'd had the story before you got to that point as well. Um, and then you came along and did a talk for us, didn't you, at the um, at the International Women's Day at Newcastle Uni I at that did, time. Yes. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of, uh, I remember I was thinking about that this morning. Um, I was thinking that's where we kind of, that's where we initially met each other and then um, kind of on and off seeing each other over the years isn't it so do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself because obviously from the days of Be Daily you've obviously moved on and you've um, got a business and uh, all working around leadership so it'd be great to know a little bit more about around, around yourself and about what you're doing. Yeah you've just managed to make me feel super old because that was <laughs> quite a while ago but yeah thank you and thank you for, for inviting me on. I mean, my journey has been, I usually describe it as quite opportunistic. So not like super, super, like this is the goal and I have to get there. But I've definitely had some amazing opportunities that I've took along the way. And actually, there is a common thread around like people and leadership and wanting to help people sort of pave their own way, I suppose. So from being the MD of B Daily, we uh, also had as part of that job role, I was also involved in investing in tech startup ideas, creating leadership teams um, to take those ideas forward. And and I, I kind of was introduced into behavioural uh, behavioral training, behavioural learning whilst I was in that role. And um, I'll tell you the very short version. Met Laura actually randomly, a bit like you and I met. She reached out uh, to do some work with us because she was in the American market and we wanted to get into that. And long story short, we decided to get together. And, and first of all, it was she was running her business duo. It was a successful business. And I was doing the work at Grand Six and B Daily. We decided to create a leadership and management program based on behaviours. I had done some training with a guy called Matt Hudson. He's an expert in his field. It's fantastic. I came back and I was just full of ideas. I was like, right, I need to put this into leadership and management in some way. And then Laura went on the same training about six months later. So we decided to to 
to develop using all of our experience and expertise in recruitment, leadership, management, investing in businesses, tech startup, all of that. But how could we pull that together and create something that bridged the gap between sort of traditional leadership training that had something that was more focused around behaviour? So fast forward 12 months, I decided to to leave that position and join forces with Laura at Duo. And we've been running the business now together for about four years. We do an awful lot of focus on leadership. It's yeah. um, We work with a lot of scaling businesses around change, transformational change. Um, but behaviour is it the kind of core of what we do. But we usually end up starting with leadership teams and then moving through and distilling that through and the different tiers within a business. It's a topic close to our heart and, you know, is something that is absolutely critical to get right. Particularly, I know you do a lot of work with sort of businesses that are maybe elevating and scaling quickly. And that can be tricky, putting the the right infrastructure in place and have the right training in place. Yeah, and I think... As businesses are growing quickly, when they, when when we do these fast growth businesses, they don't always have the focus on the culture, the people, the leadership, the kind of the they're very very focused on the growth, but they're not focused on how they're actually maintaining the growth, are they, or how they're continuing to develop it? And is and is that the point that you would generally come in and and to be able to provide that support around leadership and behavioural styles and skills? I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, our entry point. Um, so there's two elements to the business. We have a business called Duo Global, which is kind of more of a consultative behavioural led business, and we also have a one called the Elevator, which is. A business that specifically targets women um, and we have a women in leadership program. But for Duo, our entry point into businesses is varied. Usually the sweet spot is scaling businesses like you, but it could be scaling through acquisition uh, where you're merging maybe one or more businesses together. And leadership teams are sometimes merging. uh, There's restructuring going on. Or it could be they've won a big contract and they're they're doubling their turnover. So we sometimes get brought in where there's real pain in the business. Often that's the case where people think we need to put a budget to that. But we do have a lot of retainer clients where we actually get to work on the ground with them and put infrastructure in place um, over a longer period of time, which I think you do the same. So Mm -hmm. that means you actually get to help embed some of the change. And you Uh, understand the culture of the business then, don't you, and how the business wants to move forward as opposed to being on that external point, come into a project and then go. At least you can can support them through that growth element of whatever the project may be, isn't it? For sure. And often with, um, I mean, it depends if you're working with really entrepreneurial people in a leadership role. They're obviously the visionary and they're, they're great at sort of looking at the innovation and the growth strategy. But then often you need someone underneath that to be able to help with the execution piece. Yeah. So we do quite a lot of work with leadership teams where well, the ideal is this diverse thinking on the leadership group. But what we often look at is how do we integrate thinking at that top level when maybe there's a lot of lot of change going on and getting them to think about the future. So maybe thinking about a future leadership group, which they can then develop before the need is there. Yeah. But thinking but, about the, the potential of where it's going to go <laughs> and thinking about that future leader element of I mean, we obviously you, we regularly talk about people. Are, oh, they're great at that job. Okay, we'll just give them a promotion. They go in there. All of a sudden, they've got 10, 15, 20 people to manage. They've not, never managed a person before in their lives, and have absolutely no idea what it is that they're going to do next. That's 
that's a big thing that happens in all businesses, all sectors, all industries. It just, it happens all the time, doesn't it? For sure. Um, and you and you get the point that a business wants to, you know, think, oh, well, we're, we're progressing somebody. But actually, without that training element of it to be that great leader or to be a leader, you know, hopefully a great leader, um, then it's, it, it falls down, doesn't it? it? Yeah, there's a couple of points I would say is that not all people who are great in a job will then elevate to be good at managing people who are doing that job. Um, you can be really good at and have the right skill set for something. We see it too often where someone's only career pathway is to be promoted into a management role, like a line management role. And actually often, they, you know, they might not be suited to that. They might be better to be an expert in their field or progress in another route through project management. So it's about, first of all, identifying the right people to be, you know, elevate into a management leadership position, but then also giving them the right skills. And often when a business is scaling fast, you can't, it's very difficult for a business to afford the time for them to have the training or put the budget to training or for them to be able to take a step out of their day job because often it's so fast paced. Yeah. And I think it's, I was at a round table discussion a few days ago and it was, it was talking about um, potentially like a learning culture. And I think one of my points was, I don't think all businesses know what their actual culture is. Never mind putting a learning culture in. I think unless they understand who they are as a business and how they're going to be able to move forward because they they want to move fast and they're, they're not always aware of who they are, are they? Do you come across that type of thing quite regular? I mean, often we do quite a lot of work around like developing the right culture and behaviours, mm-hmm. behav- like creating the right values and then the behaviours that sit under those values. And sometimes that's a great start. Well, it is a great starting point if you can get a business to yeah. invest in that. Um, and then the, the, the sort of, Learning culture kind of comes from that. So it's really being able to have those open discussions with a business. Now, we know there's been there's some work, workplace trends that are happening currently where it's a it's a it's an employee marketplace. They can choose where they want to work. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of places now where people are having to develop culture because it's one, it's the top of the list of why people choose to go and work somewhere. Yeah. Gone are the days where you would just, you know, you, you'd be able to have a pick of a hundred candidates that it's it's a competitive marketplace and there is a a labor skill shortage. So for me, the the culture piece used to be seen a little bit like pink and fluffy stuff. And and we used to say, you know, four or five years ago, bang the drum that it's not. But people have caught up, particularly in the UK around culture is a big piece and people will look at that and they'll look at the learning and development opportunities. And that will be a big marker as to whether they'll choose to go to one company over another. So I think businesses that are ignoring that are potentially going to be left behind if they're not careful. Um, yeah. You must be seeing that, Louise. Yeah, yeah we do. We see it all the time. And we are very actively involved with businesses thinking about how how they can do the recruitment. And um, we've done a podcast with um, Sam from Talent Heads. And that's that's her piece really. She'll she'll help a business think about the cultural element from a recruitment point of view. Yeah. So as in if they, they know what the culture is, the values and the, the behaviours that they're expecting from people, but then, then they're marketed based upon what's actually, you know, the people that they want in. Um, and we very often then support businesses with things like recruitment packs to make sure that the culture that you're promoting within the business is what the starting point is. That's what's being displayed yeah. as and that's what the, the candidates are looking at. And then as they come into the business, if they if they want to come into it, as they come into the business, it's then mirrored in the culture book, the handbook, the um, job descriptions, the succession planning, the kind of the appraisals. So it kind of follows the full journey through. But I think without understanding the culture, as you say at the moment, the 
marketplace is so so difficult and you know we have had to make it redundant over kind of recent weeks and months but I do keep saying actually it's the best time to be made redundant because there's so many jobs out there you know there's, 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 yeah. you can pick what job that you want to go and do so if there was ever a time to be made redundant um, never a great time but you know because the marketplace is so buoyant at the moment and people can go and select the jobs that they want mm-hmm. instead can't they as opposed to years it's gone by it would be the employer selecting a group of people and will choose who to tell it's not that now at all, is it? It's definitely been a step change. But one of the things I think from a thinking about from the listener's perspective, if you've got if you've got you've got people who are coming into your business, it's important that you set an expectation around a growth mindset or having if you've got a business where you want people to continue to develop. I'm a great believer that people should drive their own bus on their self-development. So like if if you know, you get people who naturally are high performers and they're go-getters and they want to they want to learn continually. But not everybody has that mindset. But you can put infrastructure in your business to encourage that. And it's not just about people going and getting qualifications. It's about reading books. It's listening to podcasts like this. It's about learning new things so that you can add value in a business. And for me, you know, often I get asked the question is like, what's the difference between management and leadership, leadership management? For me, I don't think leadership is hierarchical. I don't, I think, yes, you have got leaders who lead the business and the vision of the business. Um, and, you know, usually those people are motivational, they're inspiring, they can, they'll get you to, to follow, you know, the, 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 inf- the influencing skills usually for good leaders, um, are really great. But leaders come in all different shapes and sizes and one size doesn't fit all. So I've got, if you ask me what my te- top five were, that all be different for different reasons. From a management standpoint, I think you've got people in management roles or even in junior roles who are great leaders where they can get people to get on board. They're great change ambassadors. So I think leadership's a, a subject for me. I don't think it's as straightforward as saying leaders are at the top. They're yeah. not. I think it can be, you know, you can find amazing leaders. You can spot them at all levels across a business and you can use them to help lead change transformation projects, um, supporting and shadowing other people. So I think spotting those people early and moving them through, you know, we've got a number of businesses we've put in coaching uh, and mentoring programs within that where we've given people across the business an opportunity to help support other people because they've shown leadership attributes. Yeah. And I think that mentor part is really important as well, isn't it? Because I think so many people end up in business and there's people can get a bit lost, can't they? You know, they might have some ambition, they want to be able to drive forward, but they're just just a bit uncertain about how to take it forward and what to do. But actually having people internal to the business as being mentors and being some support and I know some business bring people, you know, external people in or um, kind of more senior people might have external people that are mentors. But I think there's a really good piece around that to, to in, inevitably provide support to the business and to the individuals as well. You know, we do a lot of executive coaching at the top level. Um, Laura and I are both behavioural change coaches. It's what we do. We kind of go in and help with behaviours and, and help the leadership team think about their behaviours. And often when you're leading a business, so business owners or people who are at the top, top level within a business, they're often forgotten about or they forget about themselves because they're too busy supporting everybody else within the business and driving the business forward. But I think it's really important to have um, a mentor or a coach. Not everybody can afford to invest in coaches, but or someone that in your in your peer group that you can go and have uh, conversations for external perspective, be part of networks. For me, you know, I, I definitely had a period in my career where I 
didn't have that and I ended up stagnating for a period of time and I, I've kind of almost was like is this all I've got yeah. and you know in in during COVID people did get quite isolated and I think it's really important for people to to maybe ask themselves the question have they really got someone who's maybe you know you might not give them the title a mentor or a coach I have people who I walk with and go and have a coffee with and the the people who help me from a leadership mindset um you can get your self-development in lots of different ways it could be a program great it could be a formal academic certificate great but sometimes it is about just mixing with like-minded people and being challenged and being open to being challenged and challenge your thinking I think they're like they're important things to put in the mix yeah um I think a couple of things that you've just said there, I think one of the things that shouts out sometimes is that actually being a leader or a business owner can be a lonely position. Yeah. I think it's it, people not knowing how to have that outlet or who to speak to or so creating that situation whereby even if you go for a walk with somebody or sit down and have a coffee once every couple of weeks, but somebody that is interested in what it is that you've got to say and, and wants to listen and help to kind of concerns that you might have or successes that you've had. Because I think that you know, even from your own, from my own personal point of view, I think sometimes that can be a lonely position to be in, where you're trying to drive forward and people look to you, they expect things from you. And our business is quite reactional because you know we'll we'll have a phone call, someone uh, hot topics at the moment, driving using mobile phones, and um, you know all the history of drivers driving using mobile phones, and we need to react when it's to spend paper when it, and so there's continuous demands upon all the time. And actually, sometimes if you haven't got that support network, it can be a lonely place to be, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And investing in that and mm-hmm. remembering that it's really important that you continue to invest in that development, and whether that's time investment or money investment. One of the things I think is really interesting from a leadership management learning standpoint is that, you know, we've all got different learning styles. We've all got different things. Some people are motivated by achievement and accolades and having sort of the the academic recognition. Some just want to learn new things to be able to do things better. And they're less bothered about that. We, we're massive believers in, in a duo in our business that we, we do a combination. So, for example, our leadership stuff is a mix of really well-established theory. All the behavioural work we do is for, based on meta programmes from like the 1970s. We mix that with our own context and our own work with businesses. So we've got real life context in there. So we can actually empathise and contextualise learning. And then we also look at inspirational people, podcasts, Netflix programmes. It's a combination of learning to help embed the learning and also give people the tools to be able to go away and then put it in their business. Sometimes when stuff's too theoretical, you learn stuff and you think, well, that's great, but like, how do I take that learning and put it in my business? And I think that's something, you know, I would challenge business owners, lead, leadership teams to think about, like not just to to push people down the exact same route from a leadership and management learning perspective because what works for one doesn't always work for another um, and make sure that it's rounded um, mm. to help to help the embedding because sometimes what happens is you end up going and you send your team off on a training program and they come back but they don't know how to put it in their business um, yeah. and there's loads of great stuff out there don't get me wrong but no no and I think it's about the evaluation you know if you've if you've sent some off for training or they've been doing some type of learning you know from a professional point of view then it is about the evaluation of it to to ensure the business is getting value for what it is that's putting in and that it's making an impact upon the individual themselves yeah you've got to have some form of evaluation I think as you embark on some type of training or learning like that you need to think about what what is that evaluation point going to be rather than having nothing 
lined up at the end because even at the event I was at the other day, they'd said, oh, yeah, well, we do all this training. We, we get somebody in, they do once a month, they do this, they do that. And it was great what they said that they did. And then all of a sudden that moment of kind of the red flag came up for her and was like, oh, actually, yeah, we don't evaluate it at all. But we think we're doing well doing it. Yeah, but yeah. actually, maybe we're not doing as good as what we thought. Yeah. And it's making sure that it's not a tick box exercise. So the businesses we work with, usually all the training that comes through the business on a yearly basis is linked to a strategic plan that's set out for that year. Um, and we, you know, we're mass, we, we use elements of different theories. So there's a traction model. It's, it's from a book uh, called EOS. It's a, it's basically the, the theory is based on a 90 day sprint plan, but you have a yearly plan and you break it down into a 90 day sprint. So you look at each quarter by quarter and then you set your goals from that. And so we do a lot of that kind of goal setting with leadership teams to help them be really strategic, but also be very purposeful and intentional. And usually training plans or weaknesses within the business, for example, or growth areas for the business will fall out of that yearly plan and then breaking it up into bite-sized pieces each quarter helps you then to be able to distill that down and share it with the wider business, but also link professional development to the strategy. So it's not just professional development for we need to give our, our staff training. It's about we need, we want you to be more skilled in this area so that we can help do why? So it's actually linked to the vision and the mission of the business. And I think you were talking about goal setting then. I think goal setting is particularly hard for a business, isn't it? I think not all businesses, but I think it is difficult sometimes to sit blank piece of paper there. They haven't got any support to be able to do it and go, right, okay, what what is it that I'm going to do in the next year? Never mind breaking it up into kind of like quarterly parts of it, because I think you become overwhelmed and you're so busy, the whole, the whole thing of being in the business or on the business. And, you know, and I think it's quite a difficult point to do without having some support to be able to do that unless you're very very structured and you've kind of you get it together at the beginning of each year or each quarter to be able to do it but you must you must see a lot of businesses who haven't set goals before and then you go in and start setting it and and providing that structure inevitably helps them to be able to achieve what they need to do moving forward for sure and I think it's it's making sure that it's not um it's a it's a working it's a working plan so we don't you know what even in our own business, we, we've we've just actually done a three-year vision plan. It's it's it, with our non-exec, and we've worked. We got brought him in because he kind of adds to, he adds some sort of clar- clarity, but also he's an expert in this area. But he, Laura, and I are so we we think of new ideas a lot, and we get very um, excited about innovation and new markets and new concepts. So sometimes we have to be really careful that we don't get sucked into doing all of that exciting stuff. that would be too much. Too, too like much. You would spread yourself yeah. too thin and you would lose the, 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 the scope of what it is that you're actually doing within uh, there, isn't it? Absolutely. But we always have a 12-year plan for sure. That's like a, a habit and a, a really good a good habit we've got into and this is not a plug but just sharing we've just um we've just developed a journal we're testing currently a planner actually it's a cross between a planner and a journal Laura and I have used loads over the years we did, decided to develop one and really this is to it's specifically targeted at leaders and managers within a business to help them um set out their 90-day plan look at what they're and linking it to the the 12-month one but then looking at each month and then each day and each week and each day but it also incorporates some great habits around celebrating success, what you're grateful for, because too often we're so busy. Next, move on to the next thing or focusing on what we haven't done well or what we still have left to do. So it's it's based on it's based on some psychological principles and good planning. But am I launching that next year? It'll be it'll be for sale next year. But the whole 
purpose of that is to help leaders and managers look at where they, where do they, what part do they play and how can they be more mindful and conscious of the things they do every day in order to get them closer to the goals that they want to achieve. And one of the things with doing that, you know, set up and kind of breaking it all down is an element of time though, isn't it? It comes down to someone has to make a time commitment to just sitting down, doing the year plan, doing the quarter plan, doing the kind of the daily side of things. And that's, how do you encourage businesses to be able to, or individuals to say, actually, no, this is really important to sit and to do, you know, a, a day by day plan? Because I know I struggle to kind of, you know, sometimes have time to, you know, do the finances or kind of, you know, doing some IT stuff, you know, when you've got all your different heads, your hats on, your different, um, not different heads, I've got the same head, um, but the different hats on, it's kind of like how you then manage the time to be able to go, right, okay, this is, you're making that a priority, really. Yeah. And when I say it's a one page thing, it's yeah. your top three priorities and then it's your to-do list. So mm-hmm. it's not like, we're not talking about like real detail plans here. Yeah. Each day is just about you thinking. For me, it's like saying, right, if I get to the end of the day, which top three things would I need to have achieved? What will have it impacted the business enough? We are naturally wired to gravitate to the stuff we like doing. That's not always the best thing to be doing or the most productive or the thing that's going to have the biggest impact. So it's really about helping you with your focus. So it literally takes, I mean, I do mine more every morning. It takes three minutes to do because you're already, you know what you need to do. You're just putting it down on paper. It reaffirms in your subconscious, then your conscious, what you're going to do. You commit to it. It's almost like saying it out loud, but you're writing it. I was going to say it's the committing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Once it's kind of mm-hmm. out there in kind of the public domain, really, for all sort of your information, it's mm-hmm. you're committing to actually to doing it, following through with that actual action, isn't it? Loads of evidence to say that that works. It's creating good habits. So really, and the more you do it, the more fluid you get. So at the end of a Friday, I'll reflect on my week. Put some, I mean, you're talking bullet points. It's not a long time, but yeah. really does help. Leaders often, a lot of the coaching we do, often leaders find that they're too busy focusing on what they haven't done or they're, they're on to the next thing. Celebrating success in a business is really critical. We're particularly, we're not particularly great at it because Laura and I are so fast paced. Mm-hmm. So we're like next, but literally stopping and congratulating your team and making a point every week to say what they've done well yeah. and really motivating them and re-energizing them for the next steps, but not dismissing what they've already done. Subconsciously it's done. You're not doing yeah. it on purpose. Mm-hmm. That stuff's like, for me, that that's a really, a really sign of a good leader. Some people will be more natural at that, depending on their behaviors, mm-hmm. but you've got to make time for it because otherwise what you're doing it for, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm kind of smiling away. We, we had kind of a couple of big case situations that I'd rumbled on one and rumbled on for about three years. And kind of got a result of it and we were like all all of us were like oh my god finally that's done it's done and then literally within like you know within half an hour later it was like actually we've got this new issue yeah. move on you know and it yeah. kind of but but there was that recognition to say we've all done amazing we've actually achieved that we've come out with what it is that we needed to we've got the client happy with the outcome of it you know it's managed to change the situation that they've got substantially changed their personal situation there was like there was a massive situation but we came out with a good result on it but we were then quick high five moments really yeah. and then but then the next pace was like actually we need to move on and we need to get to the next point and I think that probably comes because so much of our work is so reactional yeah you know of course get in touch with us because they've got a problem they need a situation sorting out they need someone to be you know a grievance a dismissal a redundancy a performance management like it's all very reactional stuff that we pick up so so sometimes it's hard to be able to press stop and just go do you know what let's just take a pause and we try and do that and we we went out and had a a lovely meal and things a few weeks ago just to be able to kind of sit down and just 
just generally chats and personal stuff, but about work stuff. But, you know, it, it helped, you know, because actually it's develops the relationship and builds it, doesn't it? But also people, because people always look to you as the leader to to do something, don't they? Yeah. To make a difference and to make it to make it right, don't they? And you have to always got all the answers. <laughs> uh, absolutely not. And one thing, you know, I do think is really interesting and, and, and I use this phrase a lot. Uh, I just want to share it. It's like, Often when you, when you've got someone who wants to move through a role, they often think they need to already have all of the skills and experiences in order to get a promotion or a new role. I mean, Michelle Obama says it amazing. Her book's called Becoming, you know, and it literally, her whole principle is you're never the fully fledged version of yourself because you're always becoming something else. When you take a role in a leadership role, you are never the fully fledged version of a a leader in that role. Every day is a school day. I'm a massive believer of that. You've always got something new to learn. But more often than enough, you take a role you still got so much to learn. When If I was recruiting externally into our business, I'm not going to expect that candidate to be able to do everything. Yeah. But unfortunately, a candidate often feels like they have to be able to do everything. And it's often the pressure they put on themselves that sometimes can hold them back because they're, they're so self-critical or they don't allow themselves to advance in that role and, and put their hand up and say, I don't know enough about this. I'd like to learn more about that. But if we can create a culture in an organisation where that's encouraged, like we understand that there's lots to learn and people have different skill sets. And actually, if you don't know it all, that's okay. Um, But also that you have an appetite to want to continue to learn. For me, that's a it's an amazing thing. But also consciously, if you can remind yourself, I I do, you're not the fully fledged version, Sarah, of who you are today. And nor would you ever want to be. You'll never be that because there's always an opportunity to evolve and and move move forward. forward. Yeah. Do you think, I'm, I'm thinking back to it um, about four or five years ago, I met somebody and they had a, um, like a personality profiling type tool mm-hmm. and I, I, I like the profiling tools. I think they're really good. I think they're really effective. But this particular one was trying to say that people don't change, you know, so if you do it when you're 16 and you do it when you're 65, you're going to come out with the same results. Mm-hmm. Now, I kind of personally thought... Well, that's a lot of rubbish because actually who I was when I was 16 and who I am now is completely different. And yeah. I think the skills that I've got, but the ability and my behaviour is different and, you know, personality is different. Like there's so much, you know, and obviously, you you, I don't know, you have kids, you get married, you kind of people get divorced. Like there's, a, there's, you have to become a different person during the course of your life. What, what do you, th- I'm randomly oh. putting that out, what do you think of that? Like this is like such a favourite topic of mine. So... <laughs> couple of things, personality tools, they tend, and, and we used to use them a lot. Laura was qualified in delivering most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, they tend to be more static. So we'll say personality tends to stay static. Yeah. It's your behaviours that flex and mm-hmm. change depending on your context, your experience. So we have a, a behavioural profiling tool. Uh, and the reason we developed that was because we wanted to be able to give people an insight into their behaviours and then understand how they can flex that in order to win have win-win interactions, but also understand their dominance and their behaviours. Now, they are contextually based. You might not be the same behaviours. You might not demonstrate the same behaviours in a work context to a personal one. Some people do. It depends. But for me, it's really important to remember your behaviours can sometimes be um, preconditioned. If you're in a role for a long time or you're expected to behave in a certain way over a period of time, it doesn't necessarily mean that's your natural, natural place. But knowing your behaviours is amazing. The yeah. personality stuff tends sometimes, if you're not careful, people take it as a badge and they'll say, well, that's me and that's who I am. 
well, actually, we want people to understand that's where you naturally sit, but how can you move or flex in your working environment, for example? The other piece is that you have a number of roles. You talked about the hats earlier. So, and we do this in our Women in Leadership program. We, we do it a lot, actually. We'll give people the foundations around thinking about their identity, who they are, how many roles do they have. If you're, for example, a really strong leader, you own a business, you spend 90% of your time in a work role. Sometimes you can think that's what defines you. If things go wrong at work, you feel like everything's gone wrong. But actually, the reality of it is you are more than you have more, multiple roles in your life. So, for example, for you, Louise... Um, you know, you're a business owner for sure, but it, you know, I'll just give you some examples. Wife, mother, friend, daughter. There are some examples of, of roles. Yeah. So you transition through those roles as you, on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. They're not who define you. Louise is who, that's who you are. You have your values, you have your characteristics and your roles sit underneath that. What's really interesting is, is like when you're a leader, sometimes it can feel all-encompassing like especially if you're a business owner and it's making sure that you don't let that role define who you actually are. You need to make sure you keep a hold of who you are and who you are at the core and at your core identity. Um, and your behaviours kind of sit under that. So, you know, you want to be known for demonstrating certain behaviours. But yeah, it's it's really interesting because you, you are complex. Like mm. we are as human beings, we're complex. But sometimes we can um, forget that multifaceted piece of us that were and, and change happens right across our lives so your roles are going to change yeah you know they're going to change that's going to and but your behavior is going to change isn't it you're <laughs> going to kind of continue to evolve across different circumstances and situations that you come across when absolutely. you're when you're wearing your different hats and your different roles isn't it absolutely and one thing i do say is like when you don't judge yourself based on how much time you dedicate to the, those roles Really, a a measure of great success is just, are you being present when you're in them? Mm -hmm. And how clean can you transition out of those roles? This is a different subject, but it definitely often leaders in businesses struggle to transition out of that work role into the other roles and leave and leave it at the door so they can be present. And more often than enough, a lot of women we speak with often feel like they're juggling too many roles that they're not good at any of them. Well, actually you are. Yeah, just you know, you, you just don't feel one hundred percent in any of them, isn't it? And that must that must have had a rise over obviously through COVID. You know, a lot of a lot of people have started working from home and have continued to work from home. Um, and then so actually changing that hat as you walk through the door is more difficult, isn't it? Because and I know myself, you know, you sit, you'll be sitting and working, and then the kids are there and they'll ask you some questions, and husband asks something, the dog needs to go out, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, and then my mum will ring, and then you know, and people think while well, you're at home, kind of what's going on, and you're just like actually, I just need to crack on and do what I need to do, are you? Yeah. you know, but but actually, you change and you, you you're sitting and you're trying to flip that hat, you know, through so many different circumstances yeah. that actually you can imagine that actually you don't. I think even I, I made a comment to me uh, son yesterday, fourteen, and I said, um, I said, do you want some breakfast? So I'll never ask him. <laughs> just let him crack on. And um, and he was like, oh uh, yeah, I'll have whatever. And I said, oh, I'm just trying to be a good mom today. <laughs> he went, oh, that's nice of you. <laughs> oh, but you know what it is? I mean, obviously uh, we look at linguistics and body language and uh-huh. stuff. But like a good mom does really that equate to being a good mom? You're you're a fantastic mom. Yeah, him. you're like that's yeah. a good mom in my house. <laughs> your mom, your mom, someone was probably thinking is this a trick question <laughs> what am I going to get but yeah but you know what it is if I can give anybody a tip just be present when you're in the role yeah. do not measure it by time time does not equal good yeah. it's about being present when you're in it yeah. and if you can transition through but you, you 
you bang on. We had a lot of people raising that during mm. COVID. Actually, it was, they didn't have the commute to transition yeah. or they didn't, they were sit, sat in the same room as they were having tea yeah. or in the bedroom upstairs with a desk and, uh-huh. you know, very, it put a lot of strain on people being able to transition. Um, so that's, that's an, int- it's interesting, but being present, you know, like I work really, really hard at that. I remind, it's again, creating good habits, but being present when you're in it. When you're in it. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually leaving that leaving that work role mm-hmm. when you when you when you need to yeah. leaving it at the door where you can for periods of time to give yourself that hook out and reset yeah. and reboot mm-hmm. so probably going off a little bit off a uh, piece here from um, leadership um i was just thinking about emotional intelligence so obviously mm-hmm. um you do the part around behavioral side of things but emotional intelligence is something that we sometimes just do some like little bite-sized training at, you know, in companies that, that people just generally have got very limited or don't really know how to interact with people. Or again, back to the accidental manager side of things, you've got people who are all of a sudden in those roles as maybe supervisors in manufacturing and they don't really kind of get how they need to speak to people, the interactions with people, or that people are different. Um, do you, what what's your thoughts around emotional intelligence? Yeah, it actually we look at um, we look at IQ and EQ as part of our leadership program, yeah. um, and it's really interesting because you do you do have there's pros and cons. I'll give context for it. So, for example, in, during COVID, we had amazing leaders diving in, responding to change, putting the plan in place, and then going and sharing and communicating the plan without any emotional intelligence attached to it. And sometimes that delivery is literally like, this is what's going to happen. And it goes completely pear shift. Super rational, really like it really sort of that, that um, quick off the mark thinking, pull together the plan and then the execution and the communication of it was, was lost. And to be honest with you, this particular client, um, it, they did all the groundwork, they did it quickly, but what they didn't do was include anybody in that conversation who had good uh, emotional intelligence. Yes. You know, so but where where the magic happens is where you bring both together. If you've got people in your board or your leadership team who have, where there's a mix, where, you know, most people will have a bit of both, but often you've got, you know, really highly intelligent people where they're uh, emotional intelligence isn't always in tune mm-hmm. and they won't necessarily think about how will that land? How will people want to receive that information? How do we need to communicate it? So it's about understanding that actually that's a real strength. And I think over the years, sometimes we're, we look at success stereotypes and leadership and it depend, depends who you have in your business to aspire to. It depends who you've had in your as role models during your career to aspire to. Sometimes we even see people squishing down, if that's even a word, but kind of um, reducing the amount of emotional intelligence they, intelligence they show at leadership level because it's seen, it used to be seen sometimes as a weakness. A weakness yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like making sure that there's space for that and it's appreciated. And actually it's seen as something that's, you know, you're inviting a group of people around the table. You want different voices you want diversity of thinking and you definitely need emotional intelligence in that in that mix it's really really important because you can have the best plan but if then the execution of a plan or the delivery of the comms of a plan fails it's often where it fails yeah. it's not the plan it's not the, the plan. Uh-huh. It's put out there, it's how it's it? put out there and what buy-in you get from other people because of it as well isn't it and it, you know we do a lot of work around like that success stereotype and that is and masculine and feminine traits so we're not talking about male and female, we're talking about masculine and feminine traits. Sometimes if you've had a male or a very masculine driven um, leader as your 
is your success stereotype. You feel like you have to emulate that. But it's just, it's making sure. And sometimes we hear from men where they say, I feel like I, I can't, I can't, I have to tone my feminine traits down, as it were, mm. or feminine. Um, it, it's, it's, the, it's the energy levels. But to be honest, it's about making sure that you can be authentic where you want to be, where you can be and you add value to that. But that's difficult and it's difficult in certain sectors. I mean, we work a lot in construction. I know you do in manufacturing. You know, there's there's legacy and history and societal bias and all kinds of stuff that come into the mix around, um, you know, what makes a good leader, what. And if you've got a board of of uh, people who are very similar in mindset and very similar in the way they look and think and their their progression route has been the same, you haven't, it's not encouraging yeah. outside thinking. Um, and I think sometimes emotional intelligence can be seen as being quite a touchy-feely element of it, isn't it? You know, and I think I can see sometimes people look and think, this is not for me at all. But actually, and and actually in one of the businesses, there was one particular lady who was in HR um, and she um, was was particularly difficult. She was very, very upfront. We, we ended up with some grievances against her because of kind of how upfront she was, how she'd spoken to people. And she'd been given a message by her manager to go out and deliver something. And she just delivered it as she saw was right. And it was absolutely terrible how it was. Um, and we did we were doing some little masterclasses sessions and one of which was the emotional intelligence. And that was the one she didn't come to. Oh. And you know, and you think, actually, anybody that needed it, it was definitely you. And I think so it's relevant all the way through the business, isn't it? You know, that understanding Absolutely. of how it takes people forward. And the and I think people understand the impact that they make on other people, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's not just about, as you were saying, about that delivery of, you know, you've got plans, I mean, as you put across, but actually how's someone taking that on board? And I think that's the bit that that person delivering that doesn't always think back over about how that message has been received. It's interesting. Just I've just come from a meeting where we were talking about, uh, we're discussing the topic of 360 degree feedback as, right. a, as a method. Um, and, you know, for me, that that infrastructure, we've we've helped businesses sort of look at that. And But for me, it's all in the delivery of the feedback. It's not about how you gather, I mean, gathering the feedback's a process, but it's in the delivery of it. And not everybody is going to be able to a, give the feedback well, and you also need to give training on on how to receive feedback. You know, for me, that's a cultural piece. It's like, actually, I, I see feedback as a gift. Yeah. I generally do. I, I have blind spots I don't see. We operate so much on a subconscious level. We don't even know what we don't know. If someone doesn't point that out, how can you possibly do something about it? So, you know... The well, it has to be the way that's delivered then, though, doesn't it? For because sure. it, I was saying, mm. Sarah, you're absolutely rubbish at doing, blah, 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 as opposed to, oh, Sarah, maybe it's a particular development company could be. So so it's about that delivery back to it, because I've seen that go terribly wrong. Oh, catastrophic, yes. like, outcomes and from it. And people then being on the sick, you know, for months and months, and then you can't get them back in the workplace, and then... I've seen it and that was before we got involved with it. We kind of came in on the end of everybody's sick and everybody's <laughs> upset with everybody yes. and the workplace has just gone to pot. And and it's and that kind of then scares me when people say 360 feedback because I just always think you really have to take control of it and do it right. And as you say, make sure the leaders are delivering it right and that they're doing it right from the top to be able to deliver that all the way through yeah. as well. And that goes with any kind of like coaching program or um, appraisal systems. You know, it's a big piece around leadership management is performance management and yeah. and leading people to, to to greater and better things and, and inspiring, but also being able to, communication is such a huge piece of that. And emotional intelligence sits right, right at the core of that, I think. Mm -hmm. um, now, you don't necessarily need everybody to to have 
equal amounts of uh, emotional intelligence, but you definitely need that. People need to have insight into the value of it. And if that's not their strength, use someone else, a colleague, someone else in the team to do some of the stuff that where that is absolutely critical to kind of play to each other's strengths. That's the, I mean, some of the businesses might not have big leadership teams that we work with. They might have relatively small. We work with varying size of businesses. So sometimes that, you know, they have good, they have boards, they have leadership teams, but it's about looking at in your, in your network or in your peer group, who, who has that, you know, I get used a lot for that because my int- emotional intelligence is my strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously we, we know about behavior so we can flex that. But to be honest with you, some people, it's so much stuff runs at a subconscious level. The insight's the first bit. People say knowledge is power. It kind of is, but it's what you do with the knowledge is the bit that's yeah. powerful. So I think from a leadership standpoint, you know, a lot of the training we do is really the first stage is like, let us give you some foundations, let's give you the insight and then let's, let us show you how you can use that insight. And, and that's a big part, isn't it, about how it's going to be used within the business because you can talk about you and talk about who you are and your behaviours and your style and your, your emotional intelligence, but it's then how do you kind of make sure that's executed correctly within the business with people looking at you, I mean, inevitably in a business uh, as a leader, as a manager, as someone taking any type of lead role, people watch, don't they? I always tell, you know, like people are going to watch how you react to this situation or people are going to watch how you're delivering to this because you are the kind of the pinnacle of the the responsibility. So the openness, the transparency, the communication element of all of that is so, so important. Yeah. I think it's about how the, how people understand how they're going to deliver it and, and how that's publicly going to be seen as well. We use all kinds of different theories and books and there's a an analogy we use and the books escapes as well, I'll, I'll think of it. But um, they, they, we talk about something called the, the R factor and it's like making a choice whether to react or respond. And that it's so important to, you know, events come in all the time. They happen, they come in and you're kind of like, you, you don't have control over that, but you do have control over how you respond. Sometimes, if particularly if you're hot-headed or have a behavioural type, that means you you act quickly. Mm-hmm. You might react rather than respond. Press pause, think about it, and then respond. If there's two people in that communication, if I respond, you're more likely to respond back. If I react, you're more likely to react back. Yeah. And just linking it to what outcome do you want at the end? Mm-hmm. So it's the 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 actual equation is called A plus R equals the O. But the O is the outcome. What's the outcome? So if I'm influencing you as a leader or you're a client or you're a contact or you're, you're a peer, whatever, I want to get, I want the outcome to be positive for both of us. So that response, response versus reaction is so critical. But often when people react and we do when we're stressed, when things are chaotic, when there's a lot of change, if there's forced change, people do tend to react more than they respond. So it's just about making sure you think about that and how do you get closer to the outcome you want, yeah. not further away? That's yeah. a good cross check. I think we often start with our situations as, okay, what do you want as the outcome and let's work back, you know, and then we can think about it. But I think even a meeting I had earlier on this week, there'd been a supervisor and a, um, and, and a, one of the guys that worked on the shop floor had obviously, you know, the supervisor had said something that the guy took it the wrong way. There was this then explosion took place. Um, and then around the accountability of who did what and how and one tried to walk away from the other, you know, and these situations develop and they develop so, so quickly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it spiralled out of control because everybody's watching, you know, kind of, okay, so what's the management team going to do? How are they going to respond to it? You know, and, and that's all been like a reaction element of yeah. it, hasn't it? It's Absolutely. kind of built I mean, up. You must say this a lot with the disputes the element. Yeah. And, you know, when we do leadership training, it's like looking at that because it's so important. 
often and as your stress response levels kick in if you're stressed if if things are are frantic if there's lots of lots of things that you're juggling which is usually a, a typical sort of you know day in a entrepreneur's or a business owner's or a leadership team's life you've got to make sure that you you press pause you don't jump onto the email and bang out an email that is inappropriate or oh, we've you, all done that we've all we? done it and then all gone oh come back come back come back <laughs> um or that you're you're jumping on a call and not finding the facts you know yeah. seek the facts first before you you respond yeah um and I think that you know that's a it's a little tip but yeah you know are you responding or are you reacting think about it the listeners out there and you're listening think about do you tend to react or do you tend to think about it and then respond doing nothing is still a reaction so don't think if you do nothing that's good because people still get cheesed off at a non-reaction so that's still a reaction and I think just that press pause as you said before you know I mean I've got this one particular guy a union guy and he emails me and it just gets the shekels up on me straight away you know and I go to respond and then I think do you know what? I'm just going to leave it for a few minutes, yeah. you know, and then you can think about it and you become more rational, can't you? Absolutely. But, but again, that comes back to the emotional intelligence that you know that certain things make certain reactions because of your behaviour and how you're going to respond back to a given situation. Mm-hmm. The idea that everybody presses somebody else's buttons, doesn't it? You know, like, sure. you know, everybody reacts to different things in different circumstances. Yeah. And that happens even at the leadership level and, you know, kind of the roles that are taking place there. The leaders aren't always an expert in everything. As you say, they're just, they're developing into the roles themselves, isn't it? Yeah, you know, and and even the most experienced leader, you know, often they'll have traits where they're very uh, forward thinking, often they think they're right, they're quite decisive, you know, there's many different characteristics of a great leader. But if you've got those really strong characteristics, you will, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to be everything to everybody, you know, and this is why the behavioural makeup of of great leaders, you know, we've we've done loads of assessments over the years and it's varied, but there are certain things that you will have as watchouts and triggers depending on your behavioural makeup, for sure. And do you find um, in some of the, uh, in some of the business that you work at when you've got a leadership team, do you find that they they tend to recruit people that are similar to the person who's like the ultimate leader, MD, CEO or owner. Do you find sometimes that people recruit to that, you're smiling away, to that (laughs) similar type of area or do you you think people are quite aware of that and think actually no, we need someone who's, because I remember work, well, when I used to work in automotive, everybody we did the insights one at the time and everybody was sitting in one box and I was kind of firmly over here in that HR role. And then I've done it in a couple of other companies where you've kind of gone, oh, actually, yeah, everybody sits in one area. And then there's like the old person over here with the emotional intelligence or the behavioural side that can look after the people. Yeah. Do you see that as a often or? It depends how long we've been working with them. <laughs> <laughs> but um, typically... Tip. I mean, it doesn't have to be equal, equal. You know what I mean? You don't need equal, like equal proportions. You just need, di- I mean, we're just massive believers of like diversity at all levels, whether that's gender, whether that's mindset, whether it's age, whether it's background, whether it's ethnicity, it doesn't matter. The more, the more diversity you can have, you've got to have the right fit for the right role, right person every time, regardless of that. But then the best leadership teams we see are the ones where there's diversity of thinking, so that is where people challenge each other, where they're stimulating positive conflict, they're challenging, they're debating it and then making decisions and then leaving with a united front. They're the yeah. best leadership teams. That tends to happen when you have um, good combinations. So you've got to have some kind of emotional intelligence. To be honest with you, some of them, they bring, Laura and I sit on a lot of leadership teams. 
we're usually the that the bit that's missing until potentially they have another role that they can recruit into. So we're used for facilitation, for the emotional intelligence bit, the behavioural expert line. They bring us in because sometimes you can't just hire someone to 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 fill a gap. Yeah, you know that that might be part of your succession planning. It's about thinking about it and being conscious of it. Um, you know, we've got to be commercial about it. You can't just recruit people to add a, a, an extra dimension. So often, like you, yourself, you're brought in, you bring in a third party to help with that and, mm-hmm. and to balance it. Typically, I think it depends. It depends on the type of business that you've got. But professional services, often you'll get, you you might end up with, you know, depending on partnerships and things like that, where you've got people who've gone through the same academic route. Um, and we're, we're lucky we've got we've got businesses that are pretty forward thinking so that diversity of thinking is high on their agenda. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it's, you've got to think of the practicalities and um, we've got to be realistic about it and and absolutely recruit the right person for the role. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in an ideal world, we'd like, to, you know, one of the reasons we have the elevator is to help more women get in board positions and leadership positions because there's still a massive, uh, you know, discrepancy imbalance between that. Um, we've still got a long way to go on that. Definitely. I think there is a long way to go on it. And, and why do you think there's that differential there? Do you think it's because there's women aren't confident enough to be able to stand up and push themselves forward? Or do you think the availability for women and the accessibility of women being able to move into those leadership roles is is not as, you know, not as in place as what potentially could be? What's your thought? Or is it... Bit of, bit of both, really. I think both, but I think, you know, we're still challenged with roles from from a parental standpoint. And often, I mean, there's lots go- going on with that, but often the responsibility lies with women. And so if, if they, of if, if, say, if they go off on maternity leave, we often find that women then don't put themselves back into um, leadership positions because it's just, there's just too, too much to, to juggle. Um, sometimes it's just the nature of success stereotypes where people don't see women in the leadership team in their business. So therefore they don't necessarily see it as like, accessible. And there's a whole raft of reasons, you know, there's historic reasons that we're still working, working against to change sort of mindset around that. You know, Rome wasn't built in a day. We've got to kind of got to chip away at that. And also there is some stuff around just confidence levels. And that's one of the reasons we, you know, we do our retreats and we get women together and we get them to feel empowered and stuff. But, you know, the same, this, this is, this is a, a topic that's pretty complex. It's mm-hmm. probably a whole different po- yeah, podcast. Completely, completely <laughs> different. But it's, but it's quite an interesting area, isn't it? Because I know that you were listing there around, you know, women come back off maternity leave and kind of where their role fits and people sometimes not recruiting somebody at that level because they've got the potential risk that they're going to go on maternity, yeah. which obviously is discrimination. Um, but the, there's also another element of it. And we did a podcast with um, Sharon MacArthur around oh, yeah. the menopause. Yeah, yeah. And that um, there's, there's kind of quite a lot of women that are dropping out of kind of senior roles in between that 45 to 55 age range, really, because they're, they're hitting the menopause. They're not really sure what to do. They don't really always understand that it is the menopause. They just think that they kind of really can't cope. And so that's obviously, I'm just thinking there's kind of a few different examples of where women hit different points in their life where actually, um, well, one particular business I was in, a young girl asked me around, oh, you know, what's the company going to do around the menopause? And I was just in there doing some training at the time. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know, you know, but, and she was really concerned because her mom had been 
about 52, 53 year old, very high up in the HMRC and then just hit the menopause and just couldn't cope anymore. And just, yeah. she took a, she took about four or five steps down from the level that she was working in. So still worked because she needed to, but couldn't work at that level anymore in the business. So that's kind of a whole different scope of yeah. why women are being a little bit more restricted sometimes to, to what availability they've got at certain levels within businesses. Absolutely. But I also think there's like breaking down some of the stereotypes around, um, different sectors because in other sectors it's not as you know we've got we, we work with businesses where they're, they're having it difficult finding it difficult to recruit men into the leadership team yeah. because of the nature of the the type of sector they work in so you know it swings both ways but I think that succession plan piece it's it comes back to and you'll know this better than I do Louise it's, it comes back to your recruitment strategy and making sure that you're you know you're reaching out and putting your brand visible in all different kinds of places so you can attract people to, diverse with diversity of thinking and you you know it comes back to the types of universities that you're linking up with to recruit into if you do more graduate stuff you know there's lots of um there's lots of ways and means of making sure that your recruitment strategy allows you to bring in um a, a, a mixture but also then that career pathway encourage there's no discrimination in that career pathway and the growth piece and and just you know we work with lots of businesses where they're putting in training and some of them do have stuff that's specific for women. A lot of them will have stuff that's for both. You know, and, you know, it's 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 really for me. It's about creating environments where it's you you have you have the 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 brand is being put in front of all different kinds of people, and there's an opportunity for people to come in. And then that career pathway is equal. Yeah, and actually, I was just thinking. I was talking to one of our clients who's um, a solicitor firm. I think they've got about forty-two staff. I'm sure she said, and the the MD is a um, is a female, and she said, kind of just what's ended up happening is that they've got majority female people that are working in the company. You know, all the sisters, and she's only actually got seven men out of all of that. And um, she says it hasn't been intentional. It's been kind of a shift change within kind of people in law, you know, people who are being solicitors. And yeah. and she says, I've noticed that, you know, kind of through her career, kind of maybe it's over about 20, 25 years or so, she'd noticed this change happening. And she says, and I've just ended up with all of these women here, not with any intent on it, but, you know, and, and we're laughing saying, you know, you know, you need to do that bit for diversity. And, and she's very aware of it, but she's very aware that she has all of these women that are working there. Um, and that you, you know, potentially there needs to be more men that are brought into it as well, which is, it's difficult, isn't it? You know, because obviously I think sectors do change, don't they? You know, I think, yeah. you know, years gone by, sisters would have, would have primarily been men, wouldn't yeah. they? They would have been that type of, and then you would have had the, the old lady that was around. But then obviously now it's, uh, you know, reflecting on what she was saying, it's, it's a, a, a shift of change. Yeah. And we've got a, we've got an accountancy firm, a local accountancy firm who do amazing work in their 50-50 split in their mm. business. So, you know, but you know, subconscious bias and as part of the recruitment stuff, we all do it. So even, you know, we will naturally be attracted to people to bring into the business who who match us. And, it, you know, we do a lot of training around with the behavioural stuff around making sure that that is cross-checked so that you don't, because you will gravitate to people who are similar to you. Yeah. And if you're part of that, that's why it's important to have a panel. It's important to have a mixture of, of uh, people with on the panel when they're interviewing, because... 
unfortunately, we've got stuff built into us that gives us subconscious bias around, um, you know, you'll automatically rule people out just because they're not the same as you. It's not done consciously most of the time. Yeah. Um, really interesting from a recruitment yeah. standpoint. Yeah, mm. completely different, isn't it? What's one piece of advice for a business owner or manager that they can realistically implement to improve leadership practices within the business? And obviously we know there's there's many, many different ones that you that you could give. What What's something that kind of springs to mind as soon as something like that's asked? You know, for for leaders, it's about thinking about the succession plan within the business where they can, thinking about who who's in the current leadership team and actually seeing, do they need upskilling? I mean, I'm a massive believer that leadership teams should be doing, uh, you know, some form of training together as a collective in order for them to be able to drive high performance within the business. So if they're doing that, if they're not doing that, then I would look at investing in something where you 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 actually invest in your leadership team as a collective. And I think I think that's, you know, it's it's making sure that they're taking time out to think about their own development too. I said earlier about getting a mentor or a coach or making sure that they're surrounded in a some kind of network to help them um have outside perspective from mm. the internal business. Yeah. So it's that personal development element of it and the continuous development really, yeah. isn't it? And being able to be allowed the time at work to be able to develop personally to in, inevitably help the business to be able to move forward and the people that are in the business, isn't it? Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, what about a piece of advice that you give to individuals who want to step into leadership roles or develop their leadership styles? Yeah, you are driving your own bus. Get like, go and find things that are going to help. If you, you know, takes, I love it when people bring stuff to me. Is it, you know, can I do this? I want to join that. Um, I've been reading this. So for me, it's about like, have a look at what you would like to do from a professional development perspective. Put your hand up for things. Get involved with projects that are maybe outside of outside of your day job. And whether that's change projects or helping lead on things, like put your hand up, get as much experience as you possibly can. Work shadow, ask to go out on visits, um, you know, listening on your colleagues, anything like that. And, and for me, it's about you taking ownership. There's so much stuff online. There's so many podcasts. There's so many, th- so many things that you can do in order to drive your own professional development, even without a budget from the company you're working for. Um, just get involved. And I think, you know, for me that, that you will then highlight yourself as someone who's open to growth. And that kind of almost puts you on the, on the, the watch list from a, a development standpoint um, from a leadership team. So, yeah. yeah. And I think you've probably come up with some of those as we've talked earlier on, you know, as you say, things like podcasts and books and Netflix and programs, but that social interaction with people as well, isn't it? Who are doing those type of roles, I think is is invaluable for people. Totally, totally. Completely. Okay, so where can listeners find out more about you and your work? Well, so the as I mentioned, we've got two sort of sides to the business. So um, the website's duoglobalconsulting.com. If you want to go and find out, there's loads of stuff on uh, there about the behavioural stuff that we do and the work we do. Um, and then the stuff for the women in leadership, um, that's called The Elevator. And that's on the website, theelevatorbyduo.com. Um, we're on Instagram if uh, like if you want to follow that. So go on Instagram. We've got The Elevator and uh, Duo uh, Global as well on there and LinkedIn. So I'm Sarah Callender. So come on, uh, you know, join me on LinkedIn and send me a message if you want to know anything else. Um, so yeah, happy to always have a conversation. Um, 
and hopefully there's been some some useful points in there um but there's loads more so yeah <laughs> get in touch and um happy to have a conversation Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for spending the time today to come along and talk. I think it's been a really interesting conversation. I know we kind of started off with leadership and touched on the behavioural part and emotional intelligence, but I think, as you said before, it all feeds in together. And I think there is some useful tips that certainly any anybody would be able to kind of take away from there as well. So thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And lovely to see you as well. You too. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening for the Real World HR podcast and thank you so much for the brilliant Sarah for joining us. You can find more information about the things that we've discussed on this episode in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. Real World HR, putting the human back into HR.